With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits, and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. And you will go beyond your limits today with Dr. Bernie Siegel, whose newest book, Love, Animals, and Miracles, Inspiring True Stories, Celebrating Life, you are going to experience being uplifted, but also living in this real world where there is tragedies abounding. But Dr. Bernie Siegel, hello. Thrilled to have you. How are you today? Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's fine to be here. Thank you. You don't want me to but say I'm not happy to be here, right? <laughs> well, I, well, You know, the, I, I, let me just say that there's a child in me who, you know, does things like that. And, you know, sometimes people wonder, you know, why am I behaving this way? What's wrong with me? But when they get to know it's humor, then they're happy to see you. You know what I mean? Uh Because whatever their job is, when you show up and then they smile, remembering crazy things you've done, uh, it, it establishes a relationship that's just wonderful. Well, you know, now that we started on the note of craziness, Dr. Bernie Siegel, how about if you give us one of your craziest stories that you have in your wonderful anthology about animals and the interfacing of animals to a human being and just how animals make us laugh, totally moving us out of the ordinary doldrums of chores and disasters. Well, you know, I think more about the other lessons they've taught me. I mean, Mm -hmm. the other day, well, let me take a step back. I rescue animals when I get a message from God. I mean, it's like a voice will say to me, go to the animal shelter. And I do. Mm. And I went in the other day, because two of our dogs had died this year, Furfy and Buddy. I mean, Furfy, the story about him is in the book. And Buddy is another. Well, you see, again, even that name, as soon as I say Buddy, I wrote a book called Buddy's Candle. It's to help people Mm. deal with the loss of a loved one. It's a boy and his dog who developed cancer. And the dog becomes the teacher for the family. You see, the child says to his parents, look, Buddy wants to have a nice day. You're all worried about next year, you know. And Mm. so Buddy becomes their teacher. Well, after I wrote the book, literally the day after I finished it, I went out of the house with our dog, Furfy, to go for a walk. And he's named after all his fur by my wife. But um, so we're walking a few steps and I hear a voice say, go to the animal shelter. So I get in the car with Furfy and go right down there. I walk in, there's a dog sitting right next to the door. And without greeting anyone or saying anything, I just said, what's his name? Of course, Mm -hmm. his name was Buddy. He'd been there less than 15 minutes, they said. Wow. And I said, I'm here to take him home. And I did. 
and he became oh. a wonderful, you know, loving addition to the family. And, oh. um, you know, that. and the other day, when to get back to humor, um, a patient of mine named her son, Brady, to thank me for all I had done for her. She said, we're <laughs> Irish. I'm not going to call him Bernie, so it's Brady, <laughs> but he's named after you. So, again, uh-huh. I got a message. Go to the animal shelter. I go down. I walk in. There's this great big husky, and I've always wanted one, a big, beautiful dog. I look over at his cage, and they said, oh, he just came this morning. I look at his cage, and his name was Brady. So what do I say again? (laughs) All right, I'll take him home. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I have to say, though, he was so big and active and loving that he scared the wits out of all our other pets and my wife. You know, she was afraid. If he runs into me, I'm knocked over. Yeah, because I brought one dog home she named Bruiser once because he knocked everybody <laughs> over. And we found a farm for him to live on. But And you couldn't separate Brady from anybody because even the small pet doors for cats, he would squeeze through. I mean, he really worked <laughs> at it. I was so impressed with him. You know, one leg and then my head and then I'll get the other leg through. And then, uh, and so I took him back to the shelter and sitting there was this little white dog they had found on the road. And he gave me a look and I said, okay, I'm bringing Brady back. And we found him another home. But um, mm-hmm. I'll take this little guy home. He had no name. And I named him after a poem I read that, again, what the animals teach us. His name is Rags. And I always tell people, you want to cry a little, go on the Internet, read the poem Rags by Edmund Vincent Cook. And there's an E on the end of the name Cook. But the the punchline, why it touched my heart when I first read it, was that a soldier's life is saved by a dog while he's in the Army. And I was just watching Courageous Lassie, the movie, where Lassie is in the, you know, saving the lives of soldiers. And that's what this dog did. And... When they're all discharged, this soldier wants to take him home, but he can't find him. So he goes back to medical school. That's why it hit home for me. And walks into the lab. And who's cut open on the table? Rags. And he goes over to him. And what does the dog do? He licks his hand and then dies. And he says, if there's no place in heaven for an animal like this, then I would rather be in hell if that's where that animal goes. I'll go with him. And I have seen this with our pets because as a a surgeon, I I don't mean I act like a veterinarian, but with their advice, I'll take care of wounds, do things, you know, that other people may not feel capable of doing because they don't have medical training. And the same thing was true, too. When I knew when I was hurting them, they would turn their head and lick my hand. No one ever bit me when I was working to help them. You know, they'd hiss and threaten me at other times when they don't want to take a pill or, you know, going to brush their teeth or something like that. But if I was working on them for their benefit, I knew the kiss meant or the lick meant, you're hurting me. Please take it easy. And I would. Oh, my goodness. What a, I don't know, what a you got time <laughs> for one more that was humorous because Rags, oh, yeah. I mean, somebody was here the other day, a friend, 
to give us sort of like a medical massage, if you know what I mean, to help yes. us feel better. He was doing it as a gift. So I'm lying on the table face down with my head in that you know circle with the padding on it. And I'm lying there completely relaxed, feeling wonderful. And suddenly my face is wet and cold. <laughs> and it drags. This little guy stood up and started licking my face. You know, it's like, I want to be sure you're okay. What's he doing to you? <laughs> and and the, and the therapist said, in all the years I've been doing this, no dog has ever, you know, stood up and done that. And, uh, yeah, I was impressed. Rags loved me and, uh, uh, you know, showed me, gave me a big kiss on the nose. Right. Uh, I, I guess he wanted to make sure your face got massaged, too, you know. Yes, right. <laughs> you know, we had spoken right at the beginning uh, that there have been horrible tragedies that have happened. And, and not that that's oh, yeah. completely unusual, but no, I'm I'm living right next to the San Bernardino area that has been recently shattered with terrorism and of course Paris and New York and uh, uh, Lebanon and Africa I mean we can go on and on and on and on and it just seems to me that uh, what would happen if animals touched the heart of each of these terrorists or there had been the type of connection between these human beings and other human beings that you describe in your book about animals with humans. So take it away. What do you think? Two things. One is that I've learned, and studies have shown it. Harvard students were asked, did your parents love you? If they said yes, 35 years later, one out of four had suffered a major illness. If they Mm -hmm. said no, 98% had suffered a major illness. So one aspect is growing up with love, with self-worth, self-esteem. I always say, if if somebody smokes a pack of cigarettes a day, are they stupid? No. 10% of people who have surgery for lung cancer start smoking again. And again, related to animals, I'm sure I mentioned it in the book, a woman wrote to Cat Fancy Magazine, say, and this is interesting and relates to all the terror, too, because she said, we have nine cats... One just died of lung cancer. The others are having breathing problems. So I read some of her letters to people, and I say, okay, what do you do? You stop smoking. No, that's not her solution. This is the last paragraph of her letter. Doug and I now smoke in the yard. We're not killing our cats anymore. We hope you're not killing yours. I couldn't believe it. The magazine doesn't make a comment that it's okay to kill yourself, but be good to your cats. And you see, the tragedy of human life, 900 years ago, what do you think Maimonides said? Hmm. If people took as good care of themselves as they do their animals, they would suffer fewer illnesses. Wow. You know? So Hmm. if we don't grow up with what Schweitzer calls a reverence for life, if you grow up with self-love, you care about yourself and others. And let me say that I'll give you a test question, if you don't mind. You walk okay. down the street after a heavy rain, and you see several worms on the on the road. What do you do? I scoot them over to the soil. At a girl. <laughs> I've been doing it. No, I'm serious when I say that. I've been doing that for so many years, picking up worms endlessly, because mm-hmm. I'm walking mm-hmm. the dogs all the time, and, you know, I, I can't walk past and let it die on the road. So I thought, 
Well, you're neurotic. Okay, I accept that fact. You know, I'm neurotic. <laughs> then I read Schweitzer's article. He said, if you walk out after the rain and you see a worm, pick it up and put it back on the earth. And if you see an insect in a puddle, give it a leaf to climb up on. And that was what he was preaching all the time, a reverence for life. So again, if you grow up with pets, with animals, um, with people, and you respect them and love them, and know that I'm always saying, because one of our neighbors has a sign, Black Lives Matter. You know, we're all the same color inside. Every life matters. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's red, yellow, black, white, you know, brown. We all matter. And as a surgeon, I realize when you open somebody up, hey, they're all the same. And sometimes I'll say to people, I have a photograph of, well, this happened. I might as well make it a fact. A black minister and I were talking at our house. And when we were done talking, we went outside for him to get back in the car. And I noticed he had two friends in the car, which I would have said, bring them in, if, you know. But for some reason, he left them sitting in the car. But when I opened the car door, I said to both of his friends, who were black also, I said, I have a photograph of one of us, the minister and myself, and you can't tell who it is. What's it a photograph of? And they looked at me like, excuse me, are you insane? He's black or white. <laughs> but you see, the minister, I knew uh-huh. him. And uh-huh. you know what he did? He immediately pointed as his heart. He said, it's a photograph of a heart. You see, that's why we're all the same. And the kids know that. I asked that question, say, in, in you know kindergarten, first, second, third grade, and I'm at school reading stories. I'm bringing the dogs. And the kids, when I say, where are you all alike, say, and they all point to their insides. They put their finger on their chest and point inside. But you Mm -hmm. say that to a room full of adults, and they look at you like, where are we all alike? What are you talking about? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we have to realize our differences are for recognition and identification, not for separation. But Mm -hmm. we have to respect each other. And you are familiar with the fact that one of our children... Uh, went to the FBI Academy. Right. And when we went to his graduation, they show a video of all their training. And one of the things they're asked is, are you capable of killing someone? Yeah. When I heard that on the screen, I thought, oh, my God, my son is saying yes? Otherwise, they don't accept you. But, you know, what I realized is, If he had to kill someone, I know it would be hard for him to do, but he would do it because he's saving lives, protecting people. Because the other day he sent me an email. Dad, I was in between classes. I went out for a walk. I saw a turtle on the street, and he has a sense of humor. He said, it must have been a male or he would have asked for directions. (laughs) So he said, but I picked him up and I spent half an hour and found a pond and let him go. Now, think about that. He took half an hour of his day to rescue a turtle. Am I worried that he has a gun? Hell no. And he's Mm. got plenty of pets in his house that he's, you know, taken care of. And, again, he cares about life. And Mm. that's how the kids have to grow up, that uh, we're all one family. Oh, so, Bernie, I mean, I... 
I, I'm being tongue-in-cheek when I say the following on some level, but is the, is the solution to all the ISIL terrorism is that we send them a lot of wonderful, furry, loving animals that will look them into... Yeah, yeah I would say life. that probably <laughs> if everybody had to grow up, see, with, a re, in other words, a relationship, not just having a creature around, but you had to take care of it, that changes people then they have a different feeling about life and they end up living longer with that relationship. I mean, it after a heart attack, having a dog, you know, being married, women live longer than men with the same problems. Um, it's because, again, they have reasons for living. See, one little study that was published about people who live to be 100, it wasn't anything exciting or, you know, revealing it was that you had relationships and meaning you had a group that you were attached to you ate reasonably healthy food you know they weren't fanatics you exercised meaning you're active it didn't say mm-hmm. you had to belong to a gym but you were active and there was purpose in your life and that's what we have to instill in every child to have purpose and the purpose isn't to destroy life, and even religions. I mean, I began to study them because I realized they can be a handicap for people who feel guilty. See, God is punishing me. I mean that literally. Um, The Pope in the 1800s declared, if you vaccinate yourself against smallpox, you no longer can go to heaven. Why? Because God decides who gets smallpox. That's Pope Leo XII, 1823, I think it was. I couldn't believe it when I read that in a book about religion and health. And Mm -hmm. um, see, I like what Maimonides said again. He said, well, what I say would say to the Pope, and even to Billy Graham, who when somebody wrote him in his newspaper article, does God want me to have cancer? Billy Graham answered, not necessarily, but God might use it to bring you closer if you've lost you know your spirituality i mean i couldn't believe that he would say that so my comment to billy graham is if you lose your car keys does god want you to walk home okay people laugh when i say that but you see what maimonides again said was disease is a loss of health it's not god punishing you or taking something away you've lost your health so let's all help that person find it again you know, find their health. And so different religions interpret it in different ways. Um, You know, what we're here for, boy, you're reminding me, a Hindu story that really touched me. And I always make things personal. You know, and people look at me, and and then they look at my wife who's with me, and she'll shake her head, no, no, it didn't really happen. (laughs) But... One of the stories, the way I put it is, so you know, it, it's me taking a Hindu myth and converting it. But a friend of mine is out on a honeymoon in the woods, and he cuts up some trees to make a shelter. And the next morning, there's a demon standing there saying, you cut up my sacred fig tree, I'm going to cut your heart out and eat it. And my friend says, I just got married. Are you going to take my life away? Is there anything I could offer you? Okay. You bring me a child from your family who's willing to take your place. I'll have the child's heart and not yours. And my friend comes home, 
and tells me what happened. I said, well, get your family together. He said, Bernie, don't be ridiculous. Nobody's going to take my place. I'm done. I said, get the family together. And they did. And I told them the story. And this seven-year-old jumped up and said, yeah, I'll go. I'll take his place. And his parents said, shh, what's the matter with you? He said, no. Consider this. Sooner or later, my body will perish at any rate. But if it perishes without love, which the wise declare is the only thing of permanence, of what use would have been? Parents break into tears, and they say, all right, we'll let you do it. And we all went the next week, and the demon steps out of the woods, hands my friend the sword. He raises the sword, and the boy says his last prayer, let me be born again and again on the wheel of rebirth. So again and again, I may offer this body for the benefit of others. And everybody fell to their knees in an attitude of prayer. And of course, even the demon said, okay, he can live. Because they'd all learned so much from that child. And when we all feel that we're here to contribute to life, that's when, truthfully, the no no coincidences, the miracles, the amazing things begin to happen. Because when you're choosing to be life-enhancing, for all the planet, you know, it can be good for you, but not in a selfish way, then it also helps others. Um, Then amazing coincidences happen. You meet people who change your life. Uh, It's just all kinds of stories that, well, we even collected some in something called the Book of Miracles. It covers all kinds of things, but it's just that it's, it's when you get into that state of consciousness you are in the right place at the right time, and wonderful things happen. So, in the in the in the interspecies consciousness, in other words, the one species loving another as opposed to devouring or harming, do you see connection with that? And the terrorists saying, "No, we are protecting ourselves. We're doing this for our God." Um, and and well, yet. Reaching out to that interspecies consciousness you talk about in your yeah. book, Love, Animal, I mean, Miracles. I think then then they're using differences to say, I'm better than you. So whether it's race, religion, well, again, back to animals. What does Ann Landis publish in her column in 1999? Something that she got from a church bulletin. See? If you can start mm-hmm. the day without caffeine, get going without pep pills, resist boring and complaining to people with all your problems. Not treat a rich friend better than a fo- than a poor friend. Face the world without lies and deceit. Conquer tension without medical help. Relax without liquor. Sleep without the aid of drugs. And say honestly that you have no prejudice against race, religion, creed, or nationality, or politics. Then, my friends, you're almost as good as your dog. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what that says. Uh, and I yeah. say to people, okay, next time you have a problem. See, we have a terrorist. I said to him, okay, how are you going to decide what to do? WWLD. What does that mean? What would Lassie do? Oh, yeah. my goodness. What would Lassie well, what, do? And if we well, all had Lassie as the role model, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be worried. Yeah, you'd growl at times if you're not because again there was another statement said um words are silver silence is golden people are silver 
the divine is golden. And then on my calendar, like little daily words, it said, speech isn't always golden. I mean, silence isn't always golden. Sometimes it's yellow. I thought that was interesting, see, that if you're not speaking up because of fear, then, yeah, silence, it's not silence then. Uh, It's submissiveness. And that's what people need to realize. There is appropriate anger. There's righteous indignation. I mean, if you're not treated with respect, you have a right to speak up. Uh, I would not feel that I'm going to go kill somebody because they didn't respect me. But on the other hand, if my life was threatened, that would probably be the time, the only time I would say, all right, then I have to kill in order to survive. But if we're doing it because I'm better than you, my God's better than your God, it's all insane. We all have the same parents, Adam and Eve, the same God. And I mean this literally. You know, when God says... um, Oh, I forgot the exact words, but in the Bible. But um, we are, yeah, we're in God's image. That's that's what I was thinking of. Uh, We are made in God's image. Does that mean we look like God? No, but what we are made of, God is made of. You know, whether you talk about energy, electrons, protons, I mean, whatever matter is made out of, we all share it. So we are in the same image in the sense of, what, you know, our components are. Um, You know, you could say every house is in the same image, but one can be a mansion, one can be a little shack, but they're still made of the same pieces of wood and nails and, you know, all these things. And the same with us. No matter what we look like, how big or small, we're all in the image of our Creator. And so we all have that same one, and I have to add a bit of humor. See, okay. what might have changed the world? God said to Adam, I'm going to give you a companion, a woman. And Adam said, what's that going to cost me? And God <laughs> said, an arm and a leg. And Adam <laughs> said, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> and the rest <laughs> is history. My wife does stand up comedy and that was one of the things she would always say. <laughs> oh my goodness. <clears throat> you know so in all of your wisdom Dr. Bernie Siegel what, what what has been the wisest thing one of your animals have ever taught you? Well, I think one of the most important was forgiveness. Hmm. Um well, you know, and that relates again to the violence. Why can't we forgive? And um, we rescued a little baby, you know, pet rabbit that was running around in the woods near our house and must have escaped from somebody else's house, you know, a neighbor. And um, I wrote a little book about that too, two rabbits, Smudge and Snowflake. They were black and white. but So it's called Smudge Bunny. But And again, it's how do you turn, see, a curse into a blessing. I mean, here you're out in the woods, your life is threatened, the seagulls trap you, and oh, look, now I'm a house rabbit running around, you know, the way a cat would in the house with litter and place to sleep and food. I mean, it's amazing. The rabbits are so damn clever. I didn't know that till we rescued it and I looked into it. But when we first brought 
in the house, the veterinarians told me, be sure to keep the dogs away from the rabbit until they really know each other and you can know they're safe together. And after about 10 days or so, I forgot to put the rabbit out and close the pet door. But I thought, they've been together for 10 days. It should be okay. Well, it wasn't. Furphy had grabbed the rabbit and injured her um, Mm. badly. Um, And that was one of the times where I would get licked because when I would take care of uh, Smudge's wounds, she would just turn her head and lick my hand. Oh, it used to break my heart. Oh, Um, wow. I just felt so guilty, you know, that... I, I, I forgot to close the door. But anyway, a couple of weeks later, though, I got the, te- the message of therapy because I went out to bring Smudge in because I would always bring her in as it got dark just to be safe. I mean, we're fenced in the yard, but I worried if a predator came over, the rabbit would be, you know, uh, easy prey, whereas the cats could hiss and climb and, you know, run and protect themselves. But um, I went out that day, and I'm yelling Smudge's name, walking around, and I can't find her at all. Uh. And I saw Furphy lying there on the ground, so I just walked over to him to pet him. And um, who's lying against his back, you know, like under him a little? So I couldn't see her, Smudge. And I, wow. I mean, I'm even laughing now because I thought, what a wonderful lesson of forgiveness. Uh, he threatens her life, you know, and here they are, best of friends now, and he's protecting oh. her from me so she doesn't have wow. to go in the house. And, and wow. I never forget things like that, uh, that they're so easy for them to do and so hard for us to do. So, you know, and, we're and killing he, each other uh, instead of forgiving. Wow. Wow, if we could only take this to heart and make it just a, a part of how we existed. Can you Go ahead. No, I was going to say that there's a, a country western song I was impressed by a line in it that said, let your heart make up your mind. Mm. See? And there was a lawyer, I always say being a lawyer is a serious illness. He said, <laughs> in the midst of a crisis, I came to a conclusion that was eminently reasonable, totally logical, and completely wrong. Mm. Because while learning to think, I almost forgot how to feel. Mm. And that's what the killers are doing. They're thinking. See? They're not feeling. I mean, they're not feeling what they're putting others through. Some of them are, let me say that, because again, this is East of Eden, John Steinbeck. It impressed me, see, because when I talk to you about growing up with love, that would change the whole planet if every child felt loved. He said, we all experience rejection. With rejection comes the desire for revenge. With revenge, guilt. And there is the story of mankind. So if you notice, with all these terrorists, they are committing suicide a majority of the time themselves or they're letting the police kill them. Yes. So, so once they do the act, then they pay the price, which is the guilt, and then they end their lives and it's over. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, we've been repeating this message over and over again for thousands of years. 
I don't know when it's going to get through to us. You know when I think it will get through? And it's a sad solution. When the planet is threatened totally, you know, whether it's from uh, warming or some other toxin or disease or poison, and everybody's going to realize, well, we're all going to be dead soon. So we better get together and try and work this thing out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's but almost it's like your, ally, your allies change with your enemy. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like a lot of people I know, uh, they don't, when I say to them, what's it like to experience cancer? Yeah, you have a lot of negative words, but then there are people who say a blessing, wake-up call, new beginning. You see, when they accept their mortality, it transforms their life. And I may add, then they don't die when they're supposed to because then their body gets a live message and a very different feeling, and on they go. And that's part of why the relationships mean something, because you feel different about it. So even Monday so, morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. So it's mm-hmm. about feeling. How do we feel about our lives? What the hell are we here for? Why Why does love heal, Bernie? Why is love such a powerful force of of change, both physically and emotionally. What, what, what's what's so powerful about love? It literally changes your chemistry. And let me give you a specific, like a scientific example. Because <clears throat> okay. I always say love and laughter. You know, go to L when you don't know what to do. <laughs> love and laughter. But uh, one student took um, two actors. He did this as his... Uh, thesis for the graduation and he gave them scripts to read one is a comedy the other is a tragedy where the man murdered the woman actress's husband now in the comedy he's drawing their blood while they're acting and he found their immune function went up and stress hormone levels went down wow then in the tragedy when these you know when the wife meets the murderer and you draw the blood, what happens? The immune function goes down, stress hormone levels go up. Mm. So, again, you see that feelings are your chemistry. It's not just what you're feeling. Your whole, every cell in your body is feeling it. So you get up every day hating life. Your body mm. says, okay, I'll get you out of here. Yeah. See, poets and songwriters write about this. Um, what's it? W.H. Auden, Miss G, is a poem about a woman with cancer, examined by the doctor, comes home, he's sitting at dinner with his wife, and some of the lines from the poem are, cancer's a funny thing, he's saying to his wife. Childless women get it, and men, when they retire, it's as if there had to be an outlet for their foiled creative fire. And Hmm. Alita Evans, in a book in the 1930s, a Jungian therapist, I found that book in the Yale Medical Library, she said, cancer is growth gone wrong, a message to take a new road in your life. Now, it isn't just cancer. I mean, it can be the flu. You know, it can be a million other diseases that relate to your emotions and feelings. Don't get your anger out. You're more likely to get an autoimmune disease because you then turn it inward and you attack yourself. So, yeah, I would always ask people, what's happened the last few years in your life? you know, when they got sick, to know what things may have contributed. And it can be a divorce, it can be the death of a loved one, there's a many things. But all of those have negative effects on your chemistry. Love has the most positive effect. And I'd say laughter 
you know, is, is probably second because I've seen this with my patients where I will act silly to get them to laugh. And mm. then they can't be afraid anymore of what's coming mm. up because when you're laughing, you know, fear is not a part of your chemistry. And the same mm. with love, that when you're loving, and that's true, I may add, of concentration camp survivors and everything else. Because when I was trying to help people survive, I read things from survivors. Oh, um, oh I just forgot the um, from Africa he, he, when he was in a concentration camp. Nelson Mandela, he's an example yes. too. He came out and said, if I don't forgive them, I'll be in prison for the rest of my life. Yeah. And uh, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. To live is to suffer. To survive is to find meaning in the suffering. So those people in the concentration camp who were helping others were more likely to survive than those who just sat there hating the Germans and what's happened to me. And, uh, you know, it, it's just that we have to realize that we have an effect upon our health and our lives. And it's not about guilt, shame, and blame. You know, well, let me, I, I can't help telling stories forever because of all the people I've known. Your parents, and they're, these are all true stories. I don't make anything up. I mean, unless I'm talking about me or a myth or something. But <laughs> a young man named Tony, years ago, before there was much we could do for AIDS, called me to see if I could help him survive. He was a teenager. Mm. And he said, I've yep. been sexually abused by my parents and their friends. And I have a bedroom that's bare. And if I want, you know, a television set or a bed, or I have to do sexual favors for people. Wow. And then after I'd worked with him for a couple of years, the phone rang one day, and it was Tony. He said, Dr. Siegel, I'm going to commit suicide. I said, Tony, wait a minute. I said, I grew up in New York. I got mafia friends. We get your gun, we kill your parents. And he said, because I said to him, that's what all the other kids are doing. Why are you going to kill yourself? Think about this. See, it's just what you're talking about, terror. Why kill others? Why don't you kill yourself and end it? And he said to me words I never forget. He said, Dr. Siegel, I never want to be like them. See? Hmm. Yeah. And he said, I'm going down to the subway to jump in front of the A train. And I couldn't change his mind. The oh good part is, you see, there are angels. There's no question about that. A few hours later, the phone rings. It's Tony. How come you're not dead, you know? <laughs> he said, yeah. I went down to the train station, and there was no train. And I'm standing there, and there's no train. And I'm looking around <laughs> the station, and I saw the hotline for suicide prevention. So I called the 800 number, and they came and got me. Yeah. Now, who delayed that train? You know, that's why I say that there are more forces out there than we're aware of. I've had so many mystical experiences that I don't doubt it at all Hmm. anymore. Yeah. Any that you care to share beyond that? Sure. I mean, I, I was at a workshop with Dr. Carl Simonton many years ago. Because uh, okay. he wrote a book, getting oh, you, what do you write? Um, you can fight for your life. Yeah, 
And I tell people, see, I not, not to see it as a war or a battle, but to heal your life. But mm-hmm. he was talking about imagery, you know, where Pac-Man could eat up your cancer cells and things like that. So right. that was the title of his book. But I spent a weekend uh, at a workshop he ran and where there was not one single other doctor in the room that blew my mind, 250 cancer patients and me. And so... He said, we're going to do guided imagery. And I thought, this is a little nuts. I came to learn from you, not make pictures. So I was sitting there with my eyes open. And when he looked at me in the audience, I was near the front, I thought, oh, he knows I'm not doing it. So I shut my eyes. And I'm an artist. And once I shut my eyes, the experience was incredible because it's all imagery, vision. And um, I met a guy named George, an inner guide. You meet him walking on a path. Well, yeah. a year or so later, I was giving a lecture, and I realized I wasn't giving it. I was talking, but I was not, you know, creating what I was talking about because it had nothing to do with all my notes and everything. I was just standing there talking for two hours. Hmm. And after I was done, the first person who came up to me said, I've heard you before. That was better than usual. And I agreed. <laughs> The second person said, there's a man standing in front of you for the entire lecture, so I drew his picture. And it was my inner guide, George. Oh, my gosh. And and a year Hmm. or so later, I spoke at a funeral, and a Christian funeral. And a woman came up to me afterwards who's a mystic and who also knew the person who died. And she said, Bernie, are you Jewish? I said, why are you asking me? Because I spoke at a Christian funeral? She said, no. There's a rabbi standing next to you, and it was oh George. My gosh. And then I understood his outfit, you know, because um, uh. what he was wearing related to his religion, the cap on his head and everything else. Oh, and then, you see, you want to get even crazier, I'm in stop and shop and carrying on, having fun with people there, because I know everybody's got troubles. So huh. a woman comes over and says, oh, hi, Dr. Siegel. I said, shh, shh, keep my name down. I don't want everybody to know it's me acting like this. (laughs) And I said, so give me another name. What do you think she called me in 10 seconds? Oh, my goodness. She said, okay, George. (laughs) I said, I have a story to tell you. Um, But that, I mean, you can't deny that that happens. Now, you could say it's a coincidence. That ain't no coincidence. Um, And... I've had patients who were mystics um, and who, well, I always hear one of them named Monica saying to me, now that I know you're not a normal doctor, I'll bring you some messages. <laughs> and she brought me messages from dead patients as well as my parents after they died. And I have to say that Monica does not know any of them, doesn't live near them. And and mm-hmm. I now give her phone number to people and say, you want to talk to your, you know, dead loved one? Call Monica. She'll bring yeah. you a message. And it's incredible. Do you think, do, do you think that uh, you had to invigorate or reawaken that side of you after all the medical school training and the scientific yes. objectification? And, and and what was the process for you in waking that up? Because And what was the freedom in finally being able to announce it to a world of skeptics? The the thing I love, and I'm glad you brought that up to me, 
Um, okay. Because 30, what, in 19, let me just look at something for a minute on my computer. <laughs> Hold on. Because it's, it's okay. a, a letter I sent to my dean um, in 19, yeah, 57. Uh, I graduated okay. from medical school. Um, and I said to the dean that you didn't train me to be a physician. Now, that may sound crazy, but I said what you did um, was really make me a mechanic, if you know what I mean. And oh, let yeah. me read you a few sentences, because I wrote to him this it said, as I progress in the practice of medicine, I realize the aspect I was least trained for is how to care for people and establish a relationship with patients, you see. Um, and, yeah, over the years, I'm beginning to see articles written by doctors about their pain and what's within them. And even my medical school now, you know, what is it, uh, almost 60 years since I graduated from there, finally they changed the name of the school to Weill Cornell Medicine. See, first of all, the name Weill was because of a large donation. Okay. I, I wasn't thrilled with that either. I said, if I win the lottery and give you a lot of money, can I make it Siegel Weill Cornell, you know, medical hmm. school? They never answered yeah. that letter. But oh, anyway, yeah. at least it became <laughs> Weill Cornell Medicine. And what they're talking about is it's about caring for people now not just medical school where you're learning about disease. Because doctors are trained to treat the result, not the cause. So they don't talk to people. And what I said was, I would hope that somewhere in the curriculum for the future, sociologists, humanitarians, psychiatrists, as well as practicing physicians can be involved in the development of the student's personalities, future dealings with human beings. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I said, having had the experience of being a patient shortly after entering practice, I'd suggest for whatever it's worth having all future physicians spend a week in the hospital, perhaps with an IV taped to their arm and limited to the assistance of those who will appear upon pushing the call button. See? Yep. I would feel that a week in this position would help to give them some realization of the complicated and stressful position that patients are in. Yes. And I have to say that no dean answered my letter because every time there was a new dean at Cornell, I would send this letter back again saying, I Amazing. sent this originally. And the present dean at least answered the letter. And I have to say, I see some changes happening. So it showed me that there's hope. And, of course, it's a woman. Uh, and I say that because the women are much more likely to be open to feelings. And men... Yeah, I've had men in the office say, I can't work, what's the point of living? Mm -hmm. See, and I've had women say, I can't die till I'm all married and out of the house. I've had women, <laughs> well, one family where I'm laughing, said, my mother has 12 cats in the house. It stinks. We don't visit her very often. And now she has cancer. We've got to get rid of those cats. I said, oh, no. Dear. They said, why not? I said, you get rid of the cats, your mother's dead. What's the point of living? I said, you clean the house, and you keep it clean, but you tell your mother we can't find anyone to take 12 cats, and then she can't die. And <laughs> believe me, I see that with women, but I also make a point to the women to take care of yourself too, if you know what I mean. Become your own child. So it's not just about living for others. Have 
the purpose in your life has to also be about you. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. Can I take a caveat here? Because a lot of research has suggested that the women that are most likely to get breast cancers are the ones that are self-sacrificing. And while I think that, yeah, okay, can you address that? Because I hate to make a generality. Yeah, this this was a study. This was a study done, and actually, I can tell you this: people accept that; they don't argue with it or me saying it. Because if you say to an audience, "I have twin sisters." One is submissive, doesn't want to upset her parents, does everything they want her to do, and then her sister's a little devil who's living her own independent life, not worried about what the parents think. Who do you think is more likely to get breast cancer? And everybody votes for the good kid. So the word patient is driving submissive sufferer. If you're a submissive sufferer, it's not a good thing, obviously. So you that's why I say that there's appropriate anger. If you're not treated with respect, speak up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to kill your parents. Uh, but if they're killing you, then get the hell out of there. Okay? Mm-hmm. 70% of high school students have contemplated suicide. And why? Because they feel they don't have a life. Now, And again, I'll get back to the personality, but... When you ask high school students to write a suicide note, why I should commit suicide and why I'm worth loving, the suicide pile is three to five times higher. And the kids will tell you that, that that's what they will expect. But that's when they start talking to each other and healing happens and the suicide rate goes down. Because, see, the kids who are beaten up, like Tony, he didn't go to school and say, oh, God, what happened to me yesterday? and tell that to the teacher and others, and they would have gotten him help. What does he do? He lies. Wow, what happened to your face? It's all bruised. Yeah, I fell off my bike. Did he? No. His father beat him up. So again, when you're that sweet, good child putting on a performance, you've lost your life. And so what the hell's the point of living? And so your body does you a favor. We'll get you the hell out of here. See, whether it's cancer or heart attack or, you know, jumping off a bridge. or, But let's get out of here because I've lost my life. And what people need to understand is eliminate your what's killing you, not your life. See, that goes back to the Bible. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. That's the good kid doing what everybody else wants. He who's willing to lose his life will save it. When you lose that untrue self, that unspiritual, meaningless life, then you save yours. Be what you is and not what you ain't. Because if you is what you ain't, you ain't what you is. So along those lines... Bernie, how do you take care of the idea when people say, well, gee, you know, now that I'm ill, you're making me feel guilty because now you're saying that it's my attitude that makes me sick. And, well, I'm certainly you've heard that. And yeah, that's you address what, oh, that? boy, that I got so much criticism <laughs> from other doctors yeah. because mm-hmm. I would say to patients, what's happened last year or two? And they'd say, why are you blaming them? I said, I'm not mm-hmm. blaming them. Remember what I said about the actors? But it's it's what's affecting them. My wife had, which included twins, five kids in seven years. We both mm-hmm. got sick. 
And I realized we're exhausted. We're worn out taking care of these kids. So I began to ask patients things like, do you get a new job, have another kid, or move? And they'd say, how the hell did you know that? And I said, ah, that's what happened to me. But, you see, it it, it showed that there was a change, in a sense, affected their health. So it wasn't about blame. And I didn't see patients taking it as blame. You know, they never said to me, why are you blaming me? They knew that I was looking into it. And and even simpler, I say to people, I don't care what the problem is your life in your life is, tell me the words that describe what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And words pop out. See? Now, some will say it's a wake-up call, blessing, new beginning, fine. They've learned the lesson. As Joseph Campbell said, when you're walking through hell, ask yourself, what am I learned from this experience? See, so they've learned from it, and they'll say it's a wake-up call. Then you hear words like pressure, failure, roadblock, draining. What's my next statement? What else in your life fits that word? Pressure? Oh, that's my marriage. Now, that was a woman in pain. I asked her what the pain felt like, who was about to be admitted to the hospital. And I stopped to talk to her to try to help her be more comfortable until they came to pick her up to admit her. After I said to her, you know, how to alleviate the pressure, and if it's your marriage, then that's what you need to go home and, you know, work on. The nurse came in to me and said, her headache's gone, she's going home. Oh, my goodness. Now, another reporter came to my office to interview me for a magazine. And she didn't agree with what I was doing. You know, she was more like intellectual and you're blaming patients and this doesn't make sense and how can the mind affect the body? So I said to her, draw me a picture. And she drew a picture, and this is in some of my books. Uh, There's one book called The Art of Healing with 60 drawings in it, and this is one of them. Oh, yeah. She drew a picture with a large head and a clock behind her with one hand pointed at 12. I said, "Um, what happened when you were 12 years old? Now, if she weren't a reporter that I wanted to shake up, I would have said, why is 12 important to you? (laughs) It it could have been something happened 12 months ago. You know what I mean? But I I thought, I've got to break right through. I said, what happened when you were 12 years old? I don't like deadlines. I said, there's only one hand on the clock. What happened? And she burst into tears and told me she'd been sexually abused. Another lady drew a broken heart with 21 drops of blood. And I got a call from her doctor saying, we can't help her. She's got all kinds of pelvic problems, doesn't respond to any treatments, and any thoughts you have. I said, tell her to draw a picture. I didn't even say what. It just popped out of my mouth. And she drew a broken heart with 21 drops of blood from a crack in the heart. And I said, ask her what happened when she was 21. And, of course, it was a page full of sexual abuse. Mm. It broke my heart to just read the paper. And Mm. now, you see, they could bring forth what was creating that illness and that problem Mm -hmm. and not store it within her. Because that's what I felt as a doctor. Why I wrote the letter to the dean. You didn't teach me how to take care of my pain. I have a self-portrait. You don't even know it's me. Why? 
because it's in a surgical outfit. I'm all covered up. That's what I was doing with my pain. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I handed her a picture I drew. Her first question, Bernie, what are you covering up? I said, what What are you talking about? She said, this is a white piece of paper I gave you to draw a picture, and you used a white crayon to make snow on the mountain. It's already white. You didn't need to add a layer. And, boy, she was a big therapy help for me to get me started uncovering all the pain And we do store it. Another quote from psychologist Alice Miller. Our childhood is stored up in our body. And although we can repress it, we can never alter it. Our feelings can be manipulated, our body tricked with medication. But someday the body will present its bill. For it is as incorruptible as a child who is still whole in spirit and will accept no compromises. And it will not stop tormenting us until we stop evading the truth. Hmm. Boom. And I've written articles to medical journals years ago, and they all came back saying, it's interesting, but it's not appropriate. Hmm. So I sent it to psychiatry and psychology journals, and it came back again. But this time it said, it's appropriate, but it's not interesting. See, that's the craziness of medicine. The Mm -hmm. mind and body are like two separate entities. And they always say, yeah, you need an electrician for problems in your house and you need a plumber for problems in your house. Mm-hmm. But the human body is not like a house with separate you know, compartments. It's one mm-hmm. unit. And we have mm-hmm. to treat people as a whole entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bernie, do you, do you feel like you have a, uh, a, a special... Uh, capacity because in, in, you you have this handle on the spirit and on the psychology and you also have this handle on medical science. So you understand the chemical lab called our body, mm. both both as a scientist and a medical doctor who can do surgery and can pr- you know provide medications, and at the same time you also have this other part that uh, so I mean you are yeah. actually quite equipped to integrate yeah. the human being as physical and spirit. I was a real problem because I was a surgeon talking <laughs> like this. And mm-hmm. I may add, see, I found many books written by psychiatrists. The Will to Live, um, You Can Fight for Your Life, uh, all these things. And they were saying the same thing I was saying years before, but I was not familiar with it. And Carl Menninger, who also became a help for me, the psychiatrist uh, at the Menninger Clinic years ago, I sent him my first book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles. What does he write back? Bernie, I was about to write a book called Ten Hopeless Cases. See? Ten people Mm. with cancer, all of whom should be dead and they're perfectly well today. But I'm not going to write it because you just wrote it. Mm. Now, that's from a psychiatrist, (laughs) eh? Yeah. I mean, and he became Uh, a good friend of mine, too, because some of Mm. his books are wonderful, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. Man Against Himself and a whole host of others where Mm -hmm. they're all speaking about this same thing. But you see, again, if he's a psychiatrist, the surgeons and the oncologists aren't reading his material. See, Carl Jung interpreted a dream probably 100 years ago and diagnosed a brain tumor correctly. Mm. I came across that in my reading. I have never met a medical student who's ever told that while in medical school. 
mm-hmm. we should be telling that to patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the stories in that book called The Book of Miracles is about a lady who had a, a woman appear in her dream who had an accent and dark skin and say to her, you have a lump in your right breast, you need to have it examined. She woke mm-hmm. up, felt the lump, went to the hospital, diagnosed with breast cancer. Guess who comes in to take care of her? The oh, person wow. from her dream was her doctor, a physician from India, who was here. Wow. Now, that ain't an accident. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh. There's no coincidence. Yeah. Oh. And that she's willing to share that story, see? But doctors don't say to people, have you had a dream? Do you know what's happening? Yeah, one of our pets was named Miracle. What ah, was she why? named after? She was named after a cat that appeared in a woman's dream, said, my name is Miracle, this is how you should treat your cancer. And the woman wrote it all down and told her doctor. And thank God she had an open-minded doctor. He listened to the cat. (laughs) And, of course, she, you know, she was cured of her disease. Yeah. And uh, we have a lot of other pets named Hope now and Miracle and, you know, and it, it means something. I even had for a while uh, Gabriel and Dickens, you know, the angel and the devil. Oh, um, oh my and, goodness. <laughs> and, you know, they they all have names with meaning. Though I have to tell you, for humor, that I always say, don't tell the people at the animal shelter the name of your family. Because my father's name was Simon. And I would go in and say, what's that kitten's name? Simon. What's that dog's name? <laughs> Simon. So, yes, I've had a dog, and we have a cat still named Simon, and I had a dog named Simon, and I thought, you know, they're playing games with me, so I'm not asking anymore what's the name. They they know how to get me to take them home, yeah. (laughs) They sound very wise. Oh, Bernie, I don't want to end this conversation, but can you end this with 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 a story about an animal that is just will leave us lifted as we go and face real world problems, quote unquote real world. Something that, the one that us was that remind us on, on the okay. mystical side, I would say, this young woman right. went to buy her a dog for her father and the dog she picked out, they told her at the breeder, had already been selected by someone so she couldn't have it. And she went home without a dog and upset. And in the next year or two, she died. And the father and the mother thought, we ought to get the dog that she wanted us. I mean, when I say the dog, I don't mean that one, but we ought to get a dog to honor her, you know, and have one. And so they went Hmm. back to that same breeder. And they walked into the room, and there were a bunch of dogs running around, and one of them ran over and jumped right up on the father's chest. And the, the woman running the place said, oh, my God. And they said, what's the matter? That's the dog that your daughter picked out for you. And the oh. people who took it home couldn't keep it, so they brought it back. And, of course, the parents went home with it. But that's the kind of thing, you know, as I say, that the mystical, the consciousness is more than, you know, within us. It's unlimited. But you have to quiet your mind. Then you can communicate with animals and you can communicate with other people, and I mean that literally. Um, mm. And it's been amazing for me to learn to quiet my mind from an animal intuitive who I thought was nuts when she told me she talked to animals. But mm. it was Amelia Kincaid. She has a story in the book, too. 
And she, I'm in Connecticut. She was in California and Africa when mm. two cats disappeared. Mm. Um, and she told me where they were from Africa and from California. And that, of course, changed me and got me to write a foreword to one of her books because sure. you can't deny what she described, you know, the high, entire house and details. And so I go out and rescue the animals because I know where they are now. It's just incredible. Oh, my gosh. So oh my gosh. learn to quiet your mind. And then like the ugly duckling, you'll see you're a swan and, and you'll see the truth. Quiet your mind so when you're on that still pond, the truth will appear to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't, Have you ever done any re- remote healing with the quieting of your mind? Yes, I, I work at it. I try. And that's oh, when nice I say I try, that. because I always hear Amelia saying to me, Bernie, calm down. <laughs> Quiet your mind. Because, you see, you know, a, a dog disappears. What do you do? You start yelling his name. That's when I hear Amelia say, Bernie, quiet down. See, that dog buddy was abused by an alcoholic. He jumped out of my car the day I picked him up and stopped for gas. Uh, when I got home, I said to him, why did you get jump out of the car? Because I belonged to an alcoholic. When the wife would say, take the dog for a walk, he would lock me in the car and go drinking and then abuse me. Uh, I don't want to ever be in a car. I promised him I would never treat him that way. A few weeks later, I came back to my car and the door was wide open, the side door, you know, where you hit the the remote button and it slid back. Uh, and he was sitting in the, in the open car. Oh, Get but out. what was funny is the other dog was missing. I started screaming, Furfy, Furfy, where are you? I thought he's in a parking lot at the supermarket. And then I hear Amelia's voice, Bernie, calm down. As soon as I calmed down, I knew where he was. He was in Stop and Shop looking for me. So I went into Stop and Shop, and sure enough, there's the security guard with the dog. Oh, <laughs> and he no. said, this yours? Yeah, thank you. And I took him back. But, um, wow. see, that's the part that's so amazing. Mm. And uh, even the rabbit I mentioned, who didn't like coming in at night, you know, I had to chase her around the yard every night. And I finally said, why do you do this? You don't treat the cats that way. That's what I heard in my head coming back from her. Oh, I said, what do you mean I don't treat the cats? She said, you don't make the cats come in at night. I said, because uh-huh. I'm not fearful for them as I am for you. And that's why after that night, she would let me pick her up. You know, because she knew I was doing it because I cared about her. I wasn't uh-huh. punishing her or treating her differently. Yeah. So, oh, Bernie, you've quiet got so many, your mind. You have, yeah, quiet your mind. Well, we send out love to everybody, no matter if there's Thanks. hate in your heart or love in your heart. Yeah. We send it all out. And we you know, quiet I, our minds at very bold and right. Yes. The the words, I didn't really add them. You know, I started telling when you said, why are you doing this? But what changed me was a patient of mine at that meeting when I did that guided imagery. She said to me, you're a nice guy. I feel better when I'm in the office with you, but I can't take you home with me. So I need to know how to live between <laughs> office visits. And that's mm-hmm. what changed my life. See, the other mm-hmm. thing, when you talk about all the, the horror in the world, I send a hundred letters to people saying, you want to live a longer, better life, come to a meeting. See, mm-hmm. I was going to help them to live 
You know, I'd looked into things, read books, etc. Now, you know, I'll do it. And 12 women showed up. Can you imagine 100 people with cancer wow. getting a letter saying, you want to live a longer, better life, come to a meeting, and only 12 of them show up? Wow. But you see, that's the, those are the survivors. But it's also why the world is such a terrible situation. You know, if three-quarters of the population isn't interested in life, what are we going to end up with? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we have to become a family and help each other. Yes. You know, we are talking to Dr. Bernie Siegel, Love, Animal, and Miracles, Inspiring True Stories, Celebrating Life. Well, guess what, folks? That's his latest book. And, Bernie, it's going to everybody I know for Christmas. So thank you very much. It's an incredibly moving and liberating book that really helps people quiet their mind and focus yeah. on what really matters. Thank you so much. I love reading it over and over again <laughs> because each story, I mean it, I just uh, keep it on the kitchen table uh, because I you know, it. it's stories from other people in my comments, but the stories just keep touching me over and over again. Oh, they are amazing. Thank you, dear. Well, I look so forward to talking to you again. You take the best of care in your family and down the road. Take care. Namaste. Bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.